0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very excited today to be talking about the really interesting aspect of the fact that there are over 25 million Americans today who claim to have Scottish heritage. Many of these people are descendants of Scots who journeyed to the United States in the 19th century, and in many cases became pioneers of the American West. Today we're going to be hearing from Jenny Calder whose book Frontier Scots was published by Lewis Press in 2020. And in the book, she argues that these men and women were the real cowboys and homesteaders and a lot of the people involved in creating both the things that are still with us from that time period in the American West as well as a lot of the things we think about of that time period. A lot of the images and stories that we have um, actually come from this really strong Scottish influence. Um, So I'm excited to hear more about this today. Thank you, Jenny Calder, for being with us. Not at all. I'm delighted to be here. So I was wondering if to start off, you could introduce yourself a bit and explain how you came to write this book.
1: Okay, well, um, I've had a career as an academic and teacher, um, a freelance writer, uh, and I worked for Uh, a number of years at the National Museum of Scotland in various capacities. Um, But I should explain that I was born in the United States, but my parents were Scottish. Uh, So I've had a long term interest in the Scottish-American connection Um, and also more generally in in patterns of migration, migration and displacement and how people adapt to new environments and new territories. My museum job latterly involved looking specifically at Scottish emigration. Scots left Scotland for all kinds of reasons and went to all kinds of places, but North America was a was a, a, a prime a prime destination, um, and also I grew up with um, a love of westerns. Um, my my big brother and I used to go on Saturday afternoons to the to the movies, and we we watched all the the the, the the 1940s, 1950s, westerns, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, and Hopalong Cassidy, and all of all of that, um, all the, the 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 cowboy heroes of uh, of that period, and that was one of the reasons that I came to write in 1974 um, a book called There Must Be a Lone Ranger, which was on the myth and reality of the American West. So. In a way, Frontier Scots was kind of revisiting some of these things that had always interested me, um, and, a, and, a, and a coming together of my interest in Scottish history and American history, um, and the whole uh, the whole notion of of, of migration and, and movement and the way different groups of people made different kinds of impacts on on new territories. Um, so, yes, that was where it all came from. And Frontier Scots gave me uh, an opportunity to to focus on, on a particular aspect. Well, and this particular
0: aspect, um, it does come through that it's something you've been thinking about for quite a long time, um, because you cover so many different aspects of Scottish impact in the United States and so many different stories, many of which when you describe them sort of in small snapshots, it's like, wow, you could make a whole film about that person's life. Um, and one of the things that comes across quite often is there seems to be this perception in this time period that Scottish people, um, particularly Highlanders and Islanders, were seen as especially well-suited to life on the American frontier. So what was this sort of perception? Can you tell us a bit about why
1: people thought that? Yes. Um well into the 19th century, the Highlands were seen—the um, Scottish Highlands were seen by the, the rest of the United Kingdom, um, and that includes the southern part of Scotland. They were seen as 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 wild country inhabited by wild people, in other words, frontier territory. And Highlanders were considered to be tough, savage, even. Um, adapted to difficult conditions. Um, And to a a degree, this this did equip them to deal with some of the the challenges of the North American frontier. Um, And there are plenty of stories of of amazing Scottish achievement, but very often Scots, like, like others from other parts of Europe, they found themselves faced with circumstances quite beyond anything that they had actually experienced. For example, if you come from a Hebridean island where there are virtually no trees and you're faced with the first task of settlement, which is to clear an area of dense forest, that's um, that's something of a predicament. Um, and a lot of Scots... Uh, found themselves in territory which was completely beyond anything that they had experienced, and it really called on uh, not only all their, their courage and determination, but a certain degree of ingenuity in order to, 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 to overcome some of these challenges. Um, a very good um, a picture of what faced the... Uh, settlers from scotland can be found in in uh the experience of of the conservationist john muir who as a i think he was about 11 he, he uh, emigrated with his family um who who took up a, a a homestead in wisconsin and the first thing that they had to do was to clear the land and as a, as a young boy, this was part of his task. And he describes very, very vividly the backbreaking toil of trying to to, to clear the trees in order to, to, to get some crops into the ground. And would
0: you say that this therefore was an accurate perception that Scots were better suited to this than other people? Or is that sort of a perception that maybe had some roots in reality, but wasn't true in practice?
1: Uh, well, there were certainly some roots in reality. Um, it's certainly true that that Highlanders, in particular, they they were used to coping with difficult circumstances. They were very hardy. Um, they could travel great distances, often on foot. Um, they seemed to be able to survive on a minimum amount of sustenance. Um, they were warriors. Um, so. There is a fair degree of truth in that, uh, but there were also other elements as well. I mean, John Muir, for example, wasn't a Highlander. His family came from uh, the, the the east coast of of, uh, of Scotland. Um, I think another factor in all this was the Presbyterian work ethic. Uh, they this determination to just get on with things, and you, you sold, to use a Scots word, the circumstances that you were faced with, and you, you made the best of, of, of what was in front of you.
0: So let's talk a bit about those circumstances. You've already given us a flavour of maybe what awaited the Scots in the American West, but why were so many Scots, particularly from these more frontier parts, the Highlands and the Islands so eager to leave Scotland and try their luck, not just in America, but on the American frontier?
1: Well, of course, an awful lot of them weren't eager at all. An awful lot of them left very reluctantly. They were left because they were either forced to leave, they were forced off uh, their land, or the land that they had been living in for generations, or they were economically forced because they simply could not survive. Uh, they, they, they could not sustain themselves uh, for all kinds of reasons, um, uh, economic reasons, um, an and agrarian revolution which was changing attitudes to land and how the land should be made productive, that kind of thing. Um, so... It's a mistake to think that the Scots were sort of queuing up to cross the Atlantic. Um, Some some were, but an awful lot of them weren't. An awful lot of them left with great reluctance. And some uh, never stopped regretting the fact that they had to leave. Um, But there were, of course, others who saw genuinely saw North America as a land of opportunity. which offered them all kinds of of possibilities which just weren't available to them in Scotland for example very very few people in Scotland actually owned their own land and the great promise of north america was the fact you could have your your own piece of territory uh it was yours and it 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 might require back breaking work to to make anything of it, but it was yours, and nobody was going to come along and 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 tell you to leave. Um, and that was that was a big pull, a big pull factor. Um, and and other there were other pull factors as well. The 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 opportunity to participate in 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 the democratic process, uh, um, the, the 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 freedom of, of, of choice in so many, so many respects. Um, So it was a mixture of push and pull factors, but it certainly wasn't the case uh, that people were necessarily um, desperate to leave. Um, Many were forced to leave. Many were persuaded to leave sometimes against their better judgment. There was a, uh, a lot of promotion, um, especially at the time when um, the United States were desperate for for people to, because there was no point in having territory if you didn't have people to occupy it and uh, make something of it. Um, so there were agents that were trying to 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 drum up um, people who were ready to sign up to across the Atlantic, often with all kinds of promises of what they would find at the other end, which very often turned out to be spurious.
0: And this brings us kind of quite nicely to the fact that there was rather a lot of money involved as well um, from a rather different part of the Scottish population, the landowners and the wealthy. Why were these people so interested in visiting... And investing in the American frontier. Surely it was not that they things weren't working out for them in Scotland.
1: Uh, well, they had an eye for a, <laughs> a good opportunity. Um, may, many of uh, of those who invested in various um, opportunities in in the U.S. Uh, never went there. They never really knew what they were investing in. Um, so yes there were various factors involved first um what looked like a a very good opportunity um, often promoted um the uh, uh, various um, developments were 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 looking for for investment and scotland looked like uh, a, a good source um so there were there are all kinds of, sort of pamphlets and encouragements to put your money in uh whether it was um mining or the railroads or um or or ranching a huge amount of scottish money went into uh, into cattle ranching um so it was you know like like so many things it was a it was a mix of things, um, and, and this was the second half of the 19th century. This was a time when the U.S. was expanding economically and industrially at a very rapid pace. So um, there were there were lots of opportunities, and and some Scots uh, did make quite a, a lot of money. Others uh, lost a lot of money. Um, not everything. Uh, turned out as as, as promised, um, but uh, as I say, uh, a, a lot of money was invested in the U.S. without really knowing the realities of what they were what they were putting their 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 money into. Um, so uh, yes, uh, it was a it was kind of a, a blind speculation to a certain extent. Hmm
0: well one of the areas that you've already mentioned in fact and is a fascinating part of the book is the heavy involvement of scots and those with scottish origins was the cattle industry um which i didn't necessarily expect I'll be honest so can you tell us a little bit about how scots go so got so involved in this how did it go um both domestically and transatlantically
1: yes well um cattle were kind of in the Scottish DNA, to a certain extent, um, cattle raising was very important in uh, in the Highlands. Um, and traditionally, uh, Highland cattle were 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 driven south to markets in the south of Scotland and and across the border in in England. So there was a a, a tradition of cattle droving. There was also a tradition of cattle stealing, um, both in the Highlands and, and in the borders, where um, uh, the border reavers, as they were called, who were basically thieves or rustlers, um, they would crisscross across, uh, uh, back and forth between Scotland and England, stealing each other's, other's cattle. Um, so um, the Scots were, they had a relationship with cattle. Uh, so it's not surprising um, that uh, they were attracted by the, the possibilities of cattle ranching as as cowboys, um, as ranchers. A lot of Scots were uh, both both cowboys and uh, ranch managers. Um, you you come across them over and over again. The big sort of second half of the 19th century developments in Texas, the Matador Ranch in Texas, which was one of the biggest. It was owned by Scots. Um, It was managed um, by uh, a Scot called Murdo Mackenzie, who was from Tain and Easter Ross. Um, you you just come across Scots all over the place. A later development when when the the cattle industry kind of moved north uh, into um, Wyoming and Montana, um, you there's Scottish names. If you look at the list of the um, the uh, the ranchers who were members of the, the 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 cattlemen's associations in Wyoming and Montana, it's loads of Scottish names come up. Um, so yes, there was a, there was uh, a heavy involvement on the ground. Um, these weren't the people who put their money into ranching, but these were the people who were making it work. And how did it go? Well, uh, there were a lot of big successes, um, and there were a lot of difficulties. Um, the the, 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 the the early 1880s boom in the cattle industry uh, did rather come to an end um, later on in that decade for a number of reasons, but uh, they had some really bad winters. And the, 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 the great attraction of ranching uh, was the, the whole notion of free grass. The grass was there. Uh, you didn't really have to do anything The you your cows more or less looked after themselves they there were uh, roundups twice a year you took them to market um, and it it was seen as a a, 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 not exactly a a, a, an easy way of handling things but it uh, it, in the in the early years of the of the cattle boom um, it, it it worked well but it ran into it ran into problems. Um, the, the 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 free range idea didn't last. Um, ranchers began to f- to fence off their land. Um, they resented the encroachment of homesteaders. Um, this is a theme of countless westerns. Um, the the small homesteadner versus the, the the big rancher greedy for greedy for land and then you had these really severe winters which were um, pretty devastating especially in Wyoming and and, and, and Montana so uh, a number of uh, a number of the big ranchers just struggled some went completely failed um, and some of those that survived only managed to survive because they were pretty ruthless, um, and you get you uh, a, a good example of of, of that is the. The, the famous Johnson County War, which is again come, crops up in in in, in westerns, where uh, why the big Wyoming ranchers were trying to force out the the small homesteaders because they wanted the land and they wanted the water. That was another source of uh, of contention. Um, so, yes, the 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 boom, while it lasted, made a number of people a lot of money, but it didn't last. And another area that
0: you talk about a lot in terms of Scots involvement is around the ongoing conflicts happening across the American frontier at this point between the white settlers and the indigenous populations. Um can you tell us a little bit about how Scots and those of Scots descent were involved in some of those things?
1: Yes. Um well, it has to be said like uh, 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 again, as in most things, they were involved in good ways and bad ways. Um, a lot of Scots um, were in the U.S. Army, uh, in the U.S. Cavalry. Um, a lot of Scots were implicated in some of um, the more ruthless attempts to um, make way for white settlement. Um And perhaps one of the most notorious episodes was, um, and and a kind of final punctuation mark in the whole story was uh, the massacre at Wounded Knee. And the the officer who gave the order to fire on this peaceful gathering of of Sioux uh, was a Scot called Colonel James Forsyth. so you you get Scots, plenty of Scots, cropping up uh, in you know amongst the the the, the army personnel, um, and but you also you also get those um, maybe particularly uh, in what became Canada. Um, where many of the Scots who were involved in with the Hudson's Bay Company or the Northwest Company, the fur traders, um, they married Indigenous wives. Um, some of those families came back to Scotland. There are people in Scotland who are the descendants um, of, of these unions. Um, but as I say, I think that was that tended to happen more more often north of the border. Interesting. Any idea
0: why it happened more north of the border?
1: Well, I think it was partly because, um, well, as I say, the Scots were very heavily involved in in, in the fur trade, um, which wasn't, uh, solely, of course, um, north of the border. It was also uh, also in, in in what became the, the United States as well. Um, but fur, the fur trade was very dependent on the indigenous population, so there was a very close relationship between the fur traders and the the, the different groups that they associated with, um, and so. Now, these relationships developed and uh, not always positively, it has to be said, um, because some of the Northwest Coast, the Northwest Company and uh, and um, the Hudson's Bay Company uh, traders uh, took what were described as country wives, which were women who were abandoned when they were no longer uh, seen to be useful. Um, But others um, made permanent unions. And as I say, they brought up their families and, you know, sometimes they sent their sons back to Scotland to be educated. Um, So it was, uh, there there were some very positive aspects in, in, in all of that as well. Another way in which you've already
0: mentioned, in fact, is the idea of the Western, the, the films and these images that are still very much something we associate with this time period in this place. Um, and you show throughout the book in a number of ways that Scots culture um, is actually really heavily involved in especially those images that we have now without realizing the Scots history. Um, you say in the book, quote, the bagpipes were heard on the walls of the Alamo. The Gaelic was spoken by Montana cowboys. Um, The volume of Burns poetry carried by John Muir. um, These were obviously, you know, bagpipes in and of themselves are quite um, evocative things. And then you put them with the Alamo, you know, Gaelic and cowboys. So um, I was wondering if you could tell us, maybe give us a few examples um, about the ways in which Scots culture, especially the idea of clan loyalties or border reavers you've already spoken about, um, how did that Scots culture? Where do we see that in this iconography of the Western?
1: Well, I think you see it. it We've well, mentioned some of the ways in in, in, in which you see it. Uh, certainly, um, the uh, from from the beginnings of the American frontier. You know, when we go you know, back to its eastern beginnings, um, the whole idea of family connection, kinship, was was very important and seemed to be particularly strong amongst the Scots and, in fact, was often resented. Um, And there are lots of examples. of. um, uh, One example is um, Robert Stewart, who was the son of uh, a highland crofter who led the first expedition which crossed the continent west to east, starting at the Pacific coast and um, ending up in New York, in fact. Um, and he got his additional job with the Northwest Company because his uncle was already employed by them. So this kind of thing, uh, with this kind of networking, uh, family networking, was, was seemed to be particularly strong um, amongst the Scots. Um, and there's loads of stories about uh, Scottish immigrants who who would take um, you know a, a, a tartan shawl, um, you've mentioned burns uh, a, a copy of burns, the, the Bible of course um, and other signifiers of the culture that they were leaving behind um, and these these signifiers, some of them were just kind of absorbed um, m- more more generally. Um, I think really important actually, is music. Um, country music, country and western music um, is absolutely rooted in in Scottish and Irish. Um, origins and you see that you see tunes coming up which uh started out their lives in the highlands of scotland um and i think you know all musicologists would agree that that uh, the 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 impact of scottish and irish music on um American folk traditions has been has been very very deep indeed, um, and and is much acknowledged now amongst uh, uh, amongst traditional music makers. Um, you you mentioned Burns was also Walter Scott. Uh, he was tremendously popular in the United States um, and. You would you sometimes get references to um, quite modest homes on the frontier. Having they'd have their copy of Burns, but they would have you know uh, a, a few Scott novels. And of course, Scott was the inspiration for uh, Fenimore Cooper, who was the, the the first fictional chronicler of of the American frontier. Um, so you know there there are loads of Loads of links, um, and many of the themes that, that 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 come up over and over again: the the response to uh, a landscape that is both beautiful and hostile, the clash with a native population, um, the the encroachment of the of the so-called civilized world on traditional life. Um, these are these are themes that come up over and over again in Westerns, um, but they, they are uh, not, of course, um, only Scottish, but they're very much, very much part of uh, of Scottish history and Scottish culture.
0: Interesting. Um, I think... Listeners, um, there are a lot of great examples in the book of particular stories of how this comes out um, that are really fascinating to show how much of what we think about of Westerns does have quite a strong Scottish influence. Um, so, speaking of these particular stories, as I said at the beginning, there are a bunch of people who are like, "Whoa, they could have a whole book on them," um, and I know some of them do. Um, obviously, John Muir is quite famous. Um, but of all the Scots that you came across in this book. Uh, Were there one or two in particular that might be your favourite person or your favourite incident that happened? Um, Not necessarily favourite in terms of you agreeing with them, uh, but one that you find most interesting that you could maybe give us a bit of an introduction to?
1: Well, um, I've always been fascinated by John Clay. Now, he came from the borders. His father was a tenant farmer uh, in the borders who who left to go to um, the U.S. because he thought life in Scotland was too restricted. The opportunities weren't there. He was ambitious. um, And... I can't go into his whole story, but he—he he turned out—he—he he ended up in Wyoming, a very successful rancher. But he was ruthless. He was clearly involved in uh, some pretty dodgy dealings. Um, I mentioned the Johnson C- County War. That was 1892. Uh, he was definitely involved in uh, in. in Pretty dodgy ways in in trying to um, get rid of some of the homesteaders who were felt to be in the way of uh, the, the, the the big ranchers, um, but it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story, um, and uh, I've been. Interested in him in, for for from for many years, and I have to mention Robert Louis Stevenson, who is known not normally thought of as having anything much to do with the with the American West, but he crossed the entire continent um, in 18, uh, 1879. And he recorded his observations in his books, The Amateur Emigrant and Across the Plains. And he became so much loved as an author in America that there were some who, who thought that he was an, he was American. Um, and he himself was intrigued uh, and fascinated uh, by what he, what he in, encountered um, in, his, in his travels and his uh, longish stay in in California af- after he he finally reached the the Pacific Coast. Um, but the and the other the other person to mention is Isabella Bird, who who wasn't actually born in Scotland but lived in Scotland for uh, much of her life when she wasn't travelling in various parts of the world, including uh, the Rocky Mountains. she traveled solo on horseback uh, and wrote an account of her experiences. Um, She was rather an amazing woman. Um, And of course, John Muir is hard to beat. And uh, he's somebody that um, uh, these days, at least, um, many people know something of. Hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, there are a number of really fascinating stories, and I've already spoken a bit about learning things from the book and being surprised by things, Um, but obviously, as you mentioned at the beginning, this is an area that you've been interested in for decades, and it really has come together in a lot of ways in this book, so was there anything either in the course of writing this particular book or generally in your investigation of Scottish impact in America, um, maybe something that didn't even make it in, Um, you know, loads of things don't make it into finished books, was there anything that was particularly surprising to you in the course of finding all this out?
1: Probably the most surprising thing is the sheer extent of the Scottish presence and the, and the Scottish influence from, from earlier settlement, really the earliest settlement in the East, uh, right across to the Pacific coast. Um, they were, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that they were key pioneers at every stage and in almost every activity. Um, homesteaders, overlanders, ranchers, we've mentioned a lot, um, but bankers, builders, teachers, lawyers, doctors, um, soldiers, I've mentioned, sheriffs and outlaws, plenty of Scottish outlaws, Um they were they were there. They were they they were an integral part of the development of uh, both colonial America and the United States from you know almost from the very from from the very beginning. Um, so the, the the frontier was a narrow strip of the East Coast to start with, it, and we think of the American frontier as being the West, but of course. Um, it, it it all began much, much earlier and uh, much um, further east uh, than, than, than that. And you mentioned the things that didn't make it into the book. Um, what, of course, we know so much less about uh, and I know so much less about is the experience of women. Um, so that's a whole, you know, Whole new territory to explore, but much more difficult. Much more difficult to, to 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 find the stories. There are stories, but it's they're they're harder to track down. Um, and what therefore with all
0: of this, given that there's so many different impacts and so many different stories, and it's quite a obviously a big time period as well. Um, if you think about the listeners wanting to take one thing away. Um, from this discussion or from the book what would that
1: be for you well that's very difficult isn't it um I've mentioned some of my my the, the the stories that that grabbed me uh most um I suppose, in a just in a broad way, uh, the the fact that Scots arguably made an impact, uh, and I haven't mentioned the impact on the the the, the political development, um, on the development of of the U.S., which is which was out of proportion to their numbers, um, hmm. and you know they without a doubt helped to open up the frontier not always in a good way uh, but they were there um, and uh, you know just to reiterate, um, they made an impact at the time and an impact that has had lasting consequences.
0: What would you say would maybe be
1: the top ways um, there, that they made a political impact? Oh, their their contribution to the American Constitution I, I, has to be at the top of the list. Um, they were there uh, helping to helping to draft the Constitution, um, and which was uh, also influenced um, n- not only by the, the Scots who were present on the ground, but by uh, ideas that uh, came to the fore during the 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 Scottish Enlightenment. Um so yes, that that is that's a whole that's a whole different story. Well,
0: it sounds like obviously this was, as in your own words, the culmination in a lot of ways of quite a lot of interest in work and research, um, which really shows in the complexity of the stories you talk about in the book. Um so this feels like kind of a mean question to ask, but I do always ask it at the end, um, which is what are you, what have you been working on since the publication of this book or what are you working on now?
1: Well, uh, since Frontier Scots was published, I've, I've written yet another book about uh, Scottish experience in in North America uh, called Lost in the Backwoods, um, which perhaps emphasizes more the difficulties that Scott's had. Um, But since then, um, I've been writing mainly fiction. Um, And I currently have a number, uh, a a couple of smaller projects on the go, uh, which don't involve writing as such. Um, But one is, uh, you, you may know or you may not know, that this year, 2022, is... Uh, the Scotland's Year of Stories, uh, and I'm involved in developing um, a community play to celebrate this. I should I should say that I live I live in the shadow of the the Forth Railway Bridge, and our community play is uh, that is the subject of our community play.
0: All right, well, very interesting, and uh, lots of things for our listeners to engage with, including your current book. Um, But for those interested in the book we've been discussing in this episode, I'll remind you that it was titled Frontier Scots, published by Lewith Press in 2020. Thank you, Jenny Calder, for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it.